The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going? And welcome to On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I am your host today, Adam Howe, and I am joined by the anticipating Nick Pollock. What is happening? Anticipating. I'm anticipating that we're starting all of these, I guess. And I also have lots of interviews today, so I'm going to try and keep Get a long my day. voice low. I feel really bad. I know in podcasting, you have to give more energy than a normal conversation. You have to embellish more, and then it sounds normal. And today, I'm going to be I have to keep it low. I have six people, great people to talk to today, and my voice is going to be gone. Then I have a Halloween party. <laughs> oh boy! Yes, before Halloween. Yeah, I, we've got a in my hometown. We got a whole festival happening right down the street, and I'm really looking mm. forward to that. I, can you guess what I'm going to be? You can't, but it's all right. I uh, take one guess. What would I be for Halloween, Adam? What would you be? Yes. What would I be? It's not baseball oh theme. Now we'll go classic, at least from what I've yeah. seen. You went all out and I'm saying you had a whole Demi Gordon uh, oh, costume. Wow. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I am going to be Bob Ross while my girlfriend is going to be a, a tree. A tree, of course. <laughs> she has garlands and everything. And I have the wig and I have like my A very palette. pretty tree. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's. I thought it was a good idea. But anyway, we're going to talk about... Adam Howe's mock drafts. This is the first of the series. We're really excited about this. I get to be host now, um, which is really fun. And if you don't know this from previous years, we do this every year. We have this article, I believe, coming out. It should be out. with it. By the time you're listening to this, it's out on the site. It'll be linked inside of the show notes. So go check that out to see the full draft board. Dave Swan's takes on everybody's picks and the rounds and guys that are left off. It's a really great article. Go check it out. It's. I know we had the really early one led by Austin Bristow in the summer. But that was just about six rounds. This is a full 12-team draft. It is Yahoo formatting five by five, head-to-head focused. Shohei Otani is two different players, other random stuff. But it's just your standard league sure. for Yahoo. Just think of it like that. And it's super early. We all messed up. It's great. And <laughs> this is also a way to talk about all these fantasy-relevant players through the offseason. So expect a lot of these on the Corner Podcast for the next two months. I'm excited about it. You're going to recognize a lot of these voices. And of course, Adam Howe, he's our podcast director. You know him from On The Wire. And he's the first one, of course, to sign up because that's what a good podcast director does. 
Got to set the bar. And right? <laughs> we're going to talk about his picks. I'm going to get my seal of approvals if I ever if I if you deserve any. That's yeah. <laughs> at all. I'm excited for this. This is yeah, I forgot all about this. Right. <laughs> this is what we do. This is like the fourth year doing this. So buckle up, everybody. And we're going to talk about it. So I suggest heavily go refer to that article and look at the draft board as a whole. As you're listening to this, so you can have a good frame of reference. We'll try and keep it relevant for you if you're not looking at it. But here we are. First round, and you were at the turn. You were at 12-13. Did you choose this one? Were you late on the draw to pick a spot? How do you feel about grabbing the 12th spot? No, of course, you made the draft room, so you took the sixth spot. You took that middle spot. I felt like I needed to be the neutral. (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure. But that's where I would have liked to have gone. Not seventh. I could. What's that's, the difference? Six, that's seven. That's true. That was probably still open. I would have gotten sixth <laughs> on the second round. Sure. But yeah. now for this experiment, I did want to, I wanted to be on one turn and I was not, I was not ready to be first overall. I think mm. a lot of people are going to echo this as well. If you listen to Wintable Fantasy with Van Steve, they talked about yeah. this a little bit, wanting to be at the end of the first round to really mm. capitalize on that talent pool that that we're going to talk about so yeah i went all the way to the turn because also i can make two picks and then i wouldn't have to worry about it for a long time sure (laughs) absolutely i will say you're going to hear this a lot from me as we go over this the first pitcher was taken with the third to last pick of the second round so 21st so there were 20 straight hitters taken before a pitcher and you guys know me I'm celebrating. I'm parading in the streets seeing this because this is what I've been going after for ages. We did not draft with a backflip crazy, obviously. There's no pocket aces here. But uh, it really did feel like there was such a heavy pool of fantastic hitters at the top that you just couldn't, you couldn't reject. You couldn't say, okay, you know what? I want to get a pitcher instead because there is a clump of the top 10 starting pitchers or so are definitively yeah these are really excellent starters and you're going to see this a good amount there's already some fun stuff oh man i put up my rankings i think like a day before the draft started maybe not actually I no it was in it was during the draft it was the first couple of rounds then you published it yeah because it i don't like to think that any of the staffers care what i think <laughs> there's some picks made that makes that very apparent yes <laughs> And I'm excited to talk about those, but we're not really going to talk about it in your draft. Not so much. You listen to me. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, um, you also started talking about the first third of your list on the corner. You published Adam, the article. of course. Adam <laughs> is the best and he listens to all of these episodes and he knows this. He takes notes while listening to podcasts. This is why he's our podcast director. Okay. We are going to focus on your first two picks now. And this is generally how we're going to do it is in clumps here. You get took two guys in a row each time. So you took two hitters. And you took Bobby Witt Jr. and Pete Alonso. And all right, let's talk about Bobby Witt Jr. This year, he came out swinging with 30 stolen bases, 20 home runs, pretty much exactly what you wanted out of that. If you're drafting Bobby Witt around, I guess, what, the eighth round or so, something like that, your 12 teamers, maybe eighth to 12th, somewhere in that range. Combined 162 runs in RBI, both above the 80 threshold there. 254 average, bit disappointing, sub 300 OBP because that walk rate is 305th. Among all batters in the majors in walk rate, which is horrendous at 4.8%. 21% walk strikeout rate, hard contact, a pedestrian 28% ranking 119th among all hitters. IPA percentage at 158. And yes, of course, I'm using the pitchless player pages. I'm wondering how I'm getting all of this. 
IPA percentage being ideal plate appearance. And if you want to look, learn more about that, go to our player pages. But it's a really good way of assessing, do they have a good at bat that's beneficial for a hitter? 26% is really mediocre. You want to see something around the mid-30s or so. So how do you feel about Bobby Witt? It is a head-to-head league. 5 by 5 puts generally a de-emphasis on stolen bases. Roto, I'd say that's the biggest difference between Roto and head-to-head is do you have to lean heavily into stolen bases so you can get 10 points or 8 points or 2 points in Roto? That's a huge difference. Head-to-head, you can kind of be middle of the pack and get away with it. That's a 50% win rate in that category if you do that. So how do you feel here about Bobby Witt? Maybe I'm looking at this as a little bit of an extreme, but I do believe what you just said is what has been correct. And I do believe in 2022 and beyond, the stolen base category and head-to-head is going to be a little bit more of an emphasis just mm. because there. I don't have exact percentages that I'm guessing, but they are going to be more of them. Sure. And so it's going to be it's going to be even more difficult to consistently win that category. And so what I did here, and we'll talk about with a lot of my picks, is I did treat this a little bit more like a Roto in that I want to win stolen base. I want to have a better chance of winning that category week in, week out um, in a in the head-to-head league. So I did emphasize stolen bases quite a bit, but not at the expense of the other categories. Bobby Wood Jr., 20 home runs in his rookie season. He's still develop- He's still very young. He's still developing a lot of power. Kaufman's not doing not going to do much to help him in that way per se, but he still is able to do that. He's hitting in the heart of that order. He's not going to hurt me at all in that category. The other main reason Bobby Witt was a target of mine, and I probably could have talked myself into going with Manny Machado or Rafael Devers, is third base. I wanted to shore up a third base. Basically, I wanted to shore up all of my infield, except for shortstop, rather quickly in this draft if I could. And so Bobby Witt Jr., Third base eligible, shortstop eligible as well going into 2023. So if you are looking at this draft board, know that a lot of the positions that a lot of these players may not even be eligible at position going sure. into 2023. But still, his rookie season, yeah, you talked about it. Eighth round, whatever. I think I grabbed him just before pick 100 in the okay. mock draft we did last year. Got yeah. a seal of approval there. Don't expect one to get one in the first round here. No. But he did everything. <laughs> He did everything you possibly could want at that mm-hmm. pick. Now, all he has to do is repeat to kind of that value where I took him here, in my opinion. A 2030 season is wonderful and have no problem. As long as I'm winning categories in a head-to-head league, it doesn't necessarily matter which ones. And we address I address the other half of those categories with my next pick as well. Sure. I will say the uh, with Bobby Witt's 254 average with a sub 300 OBP does make me wonder a little bit about the opportunities Witt will have relative to the other. So we all I think we're all accepting that next year, the more stolen bases for two reasons. One, larger bases, so essentially a little bit easier to steal. But also the pickoff rules are limited, essentially. You only get three chances and that's it if you're a pitcher, which essentially means you don't want to throw over as much, which means essentially you can take bigger leads because pitchers are going to be more reluctant to throw over. That's including stuff in the pitch clock. So you're going to see more aggressive base runners, but you got to begin on base for it. And I think it benefits guys not like Bobby Witt, because I think Bobby Witt was going 
whenever he had the opportunities in the first place, I think it's going to open the doors more for guys who have a higher on base but didn't get the green light before, and now we'll get it. That's my take on it. I have no idea. There are much smarter people that focus on this stuff than me. You might be very much right about Bobby Witt's going to go more. It's not like he's going to be the same. Uh, but it makes it, the guys that have a lot of stolen bases, to me, I'm personally, I think, devaluing. And the guys that normally have like 10 to 15, I'm going to increase in value because I imagine that they can go 20 to 25, theoretically, if they're being more aggressive now. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. And I think the other thing you need to look at, especially with the larger bases, is how many attempts in general, sure. how many times did they get caught? So obviously their intent is there. If they somebody stole 25 bases, they went 25 for 32. Those are the types of players I think really should be focusing on to increase their success rate just right. because the opportunity will be there. And Bobby Witt uh, caught seven times last year. So yeah, this is all for 2023. All right, so that's Bobby Witt. And we're going to move on to your next guy, Pete Alonso. I was debating this a lot with myself of who do I like as my first baseman? Is it Paul Goldschmidt who could win the NL MVP? Is it Freddie Freeman, who had a decrease in home runs, but otherwise was absurdly productive, just like we expected for the Mm -hmm. Dodgers? Average runs, RBI, incredible. Vlad Jr., who, you know, is Vlad Jr. And then you have Pete Alonso, who still slugged a ton of home runs, who had, I think, the most RBI, I think, tied with Aaron Judge with 131, actually third, uh, technically, in the majors, 131, 40 home runs, 95 runs, 271 average, which I think is way better than anyone expected Pete Alonso to have if I told you right now that's 69th in the majors was Pete Alonso in batting average what that's mind-blowing he even had five stolen bases and you believe that I don't think you believe he'll have 131 RBI but he'll still be inside the top 10 or so in RBI among the majors high in run total high in, in in home runs as well you believe this for the most part Yeah, and this was also an opportunity to increase my power production in my infield at a position where you need to get some power out of without hurting anything else. Like you said, over 100 RBIs, it should be an expectation in my mind. Mm -hmm. Even in that lineup, got to assume that the Mets do... (laughs) I'm not going to assume anything about the Mets, but they'll probably do something to increase those opportunities for him as well, adding something to the lineup. The thing I like about all these first basemen that you mentioned between Vlad and Freeman and Goldschmidt, Vlad to the lesser sense just because he's so young, but the other two, so consistent that that's something that I think should be a target in the first couple of rounds is consistency is something mm-hmm. you can trust to produce what you need them to produce. Pete Alonzo is, I think he has entered that category for me in the last four seasons. He's only missed 16 games. 10 of which came last year in 2021. Sure. So this is a guy who's playing every single day. He, he has the power to put up all those RBIs, to hit 40 plus home runs. He hit 53 in his rookie season. So we all know that can do it. And he's increased his batting average pre- almost every season without extreme luck. So his Babbitt was only at 279 last year, 274 the year before that. And so where he hit 262. So I, he's not... I think a lot of people saw him, especially coming up early, that somebody who's going to strike out a lot. He's decreased his strikeout rate every single season since coming into the majors. And so we're going to, I think we're just going to continue to see improvements from him. And at a first base position, 
that turn into somebody that you can trust to not hurt you in that category, but and also help you in every other category across the board. Yeah, I, I hope you're right that Pete Alonso is the best one. That 19% strikeout rate is the lowest that he's had. It was 25, 26, 2019, 2020, dropped down to 20% in 2021. We didn't really know if that was going to stick around, and it certainly did. Really good to see that. Pretty much did the same thing again uh, back-to-back seasons. It does feel like this is Pete Alonso now. And after getting someone like Bobby Witt that had a good amount of runs in RBA, but you really didn't need to get that big bobber. And that certainly is Pete Alonso. I don't know where I'm going to stand on the Goldschmidt, Freeman, Guerrero, Alonso deal. There's a part of me that wants to go for Freeman or Vlad just because I think the average will be better. And that do you want to what do you want to focus on most early in your draft? And there's a part of me that feels that average is the best one to go for in some ways because it's going to be so hard to find average that you want to start later on while there'll be all these random like you pick up Christian Walker and there you go. Life is wonderful for home runs, but it's hard to find Christian Walker and get lucky with that. And also there is a really good argument that Alexander Chase has brought up about average stinks in the head to head leagues. Yes. And I really like this, by the way, I've been doing this more and I think it really emphasizes stuff better of just how small the differences are because we look at average as 275 right 271 because it's three digits but then you realize wait that's just a 27 percent chance right that's what his average is it's 27 percent chance when it's not a walk when he actually has a plate appearance and at bat 27 percent of the time it's a hit and the guy that we're like oh that 271 is way better than that 253 it's like a 25% to a 27% across a small sample of a week. That is so small. And, and you think of it like that. It's just a gap that seems like 20 points. Wait, no, it's two percentage points across a small sample of a week is just, come on. That's like a 50% to a 48% chance of flipping a coin. Like, no, that you're not going to treat that of any significance. So maybe I am going to be steering away from that more and focusing on just what do I think is like the three true production of runs rbi home runs who are those guys going to be and yeah maybe it is alonso maybe that is the right call to go then another thing to think about when it comes to batting average and then maybe this applies more to a roto league than a head-to-head but a guy with a high batting average in a low obp okay a low walk rate is actually mm-hmm. doing you more good because he, that average is that is attached to more at bats and so if you are targeting somebody that can help you more in batting average, look for somebody who can get a lot of hits, but maybe doesn't walk a lot because oh, those are going to go a lot further. And right. the same thing opposite can be said about catchers who don't play every day. If you're drafting a catcher who is going to give you a 220 average, that's not going to hurt you nearly as much just because, because they're not putting you were th- right. It's the emphasis of the volume of how many innings. Like I do this with the ERA, a guy who sure. throws 200 innings at a 3 7 hurts you a lot because it's that's so much of the weight of three seven pulling you down from the three three you get over a hundred innings. It's different. The impact it's not just you have a three five there. No, you have it closer to a three six because of the three seven is over mm-hmm. a longer period of time. That's why I like the six seven inning guys who can do good things. Okay. Good things, yeah. <laughs> Alcantara and Wheeler, baby. All right. So we're gonna go past that. We're going to the third round. But before we do, we're gonna take a quick break. Okay, so the third pick is Fernando Tatis Jr. I was very curious where this is going to land. Give us the whole spiel. We know, of course, the ceiling of this. 
tell everything that they should be thinking when they're drafting Tatis in March. Yeah, I told myself I was going to do the same thing. I wanted to see where he would go. I'm like, no, third round, this at the end of the third round, per se, pick 36 overall. This is, he's only going to miss because of how many games the Padres played in the playoffs. He's only going to miss the first 20 games. Uh, assuming health, he does get to participate in spring training. So it's nice to be able, we'll be able to see where he's at come March. And he's only going to miss the first two and a half weeks of the season. So he will be eligible in a head-to-head league by the middle of your third week matchup. And then you'll have him the rest of the year. What I'm worried about with Tatis is not so much the suspension. He's going to come back with a chip on his shoulder. I think everybody realizes that. He's going to have something to prove, if you will, with the headaches that we keep hearing, the rumors we keep hearing about the headaches he's caused in the clubhouse. Maybe he finds a way to get past that and mend mend some fences, if you will, as well. But he may not play every day. Like He may come back and play five, six games a week in a seven game week, just in an attempt to rest the wrist, rest anything else that might be ailing him to shoulder, et cetera, et cetera, at least at the first, in the first part of the year. Now we said the same thing about Acuna when he came back last year and he came back running and not hitting bombs. He just kept running the opposite of what everybody thought he might do. Um, but this is a guy who is first round talent, first round production in a head to head daily moves league. There's absolutely no reason he should be falling past into the third round just because you can move him in and out, move him in and out based on when he is playing. And when he is playing, unless he proves otherwise, he's going to produce at all five categories. He still should be running. All of his injuries happen in his upper body. I'm not worried about his feet or his legs or anything like that. And He's going to have an opportunity to mix and match in the DH spot. I think he's going to play a lot more outfield. I think Hansung Kim is going to shore up shortstop for defensive reasons and also to put less of a toll on Tatis's body as well. And so I could be way wrong. I think he could play six or seven games in a seven-game week instead of five or six. But even in daily moves league, that doesn't matter to me so much, especially not in a head-to-head league as well. He should, especially in Yahoo, he should just transfer his 2020 eligibility into 2020, sorry, 221 eligibility into 23 since he didn't play in 22. So he should have outfield and shortstop eligibility there. So that's a huge, I didn't have either one of those positions yet. And so it gives me a lot more flexibility moving forward in the draft as far as where I want to fill the other needs. So one thing I do want to note is he will not be in an IL spot. Tatis Jr. will be suspended. So it's a stash. You are losing a roster spot for the first three weeks of the year. There is something to be said about that. I emphasize this a lot in my draft planning of the value of having your hand in as many pots as you possibly can those first three weeks. Because in many ways, I gambit and actively try to... Not try to... I don't try to lose... But I focus on those weeks less than I do future ones, which I know sometimes is a flaw, <laughs> but it also it also allows me to establish myself much better moving forward, especially in a head-to-head league where I don't need to necessarily have the greatest record. I just need to be in the best situation for September and in the playoffs. Yeah, make the playoffs, yeah. Obviously, getting a buy and everything is wonderful if that's in your league too. But I certainly put a little less weight on those first two weeks just because... I want to ensure that I have the best roster and it's 24 weeks, 20 weeks or whatever it is. I let me think about it. In traditional leagues, it's like 17. All right. So I'll 
not even necessarily lose it, just be off it, but having Tatis as a taken roster spot is one less player that I could theoretically get. One fewer Merrill Kelly to to roll through the entire year or Spencer Strider or whatever it is. Strider was later on, but you understand what I'm getting at. And there is something to be said about that. Also, I don't, I'm not totally convinced that we're not going to see any more of the hectic injury stuff from Tatis Jr. It's not just been one thing at this point. It's been all these different things. And he had the motorcycle accident or whatever. It's just he's such a loose cannon at this point. So I, I personally don't love going after it in the first three rounds because I don't want to have something that volatile early. At the same time, it is like a, hey, I could win my league if I get Tatis Jr. in the third, fourth round. This is totally a 12-team head-to-head pick. If I was playing in a 15-team draft and hold, Tatis is probably not somebody unless he has to drop probably a couple more rounds, which he won't do in that kind of a scenario. But in a shallower league, in a 12 or 10 team, you're, in my opinion, your strategy should be drafting as much upside as possible to make because you can always fill in those gaps off the wire, or I should say on the wire Uh, and making those, especially if you're in a trading league as well, there's more opportunities to fix those draft holes as opposed to in those deeper leagues where those opportunities don't exist. Yeah, that, that's absolutely fair. I, For the sake of this podcast not being 10 hours long, I'm going to move on to the next guy. I We have Brandon Woodruff. So Brandon Woodruff, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11th starter off the board, which is great because I have him inside my top 10. Yes, you do. <laughs> so, uh, oh, d- did you know that when you oh, made I, the- I might have heard. I might have heard about it. <laughs> But right, so you're pairing this with Fernando Tatis. Were you thinking at this point, I need to get a starter before the end of round four? I had plans to not go after a starter for maybe four or five rounds. Woodruff is still sitting there and I saw, I know you're not, I know you moved him around, but I'm still a fan of Dylan Cease and I'm still a fan of a couple of these other guys that went, but a couple of these other guys that went, Justin Verlander, you could talk about him in a different podcast. Maybe even Shane McClanahan. I got more question marks based on how they ended their season and or just moving forward for age and stuff like that. So Woodruff still being there held and twisted my arm and told me like, hey, if I want any kind of anchor to my staff, this might be the last chance I have. And this is somebody that I thought should have probably gotten a couple picks prior should not have been available to me here. And so added the strikeouts the the winners the wins that could possibly come with a upgraded milwaukee team you still have 13 wins this year that's not gonna hurt you that's not laying the world on fire either but the, with the ratios to boot the 30 percent strikeout rate the walk rate is just above the league average as well this is a guy who can anchor my team and i didn't think i didn't see another very clear cut sp1 available and if there, if Woodruff was gone, I probably would have just skipped it and then just built up with more middle tier starters later on in the draft. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Yeah, he's in my second tier, Brandon Woodruff. Surprisingly, after his turmoil earlier in the year, really yeah. picked it up in the second half and things looked normal by the end. His changeup, though, oh boy. League average swing strike rate for a changeup this year was 13%. His was 28%. That's it over. If you're doing it by the plus standard, that's about a what a two fifteen plus on swing strike rate. Insane how much better that pitch got. 
while the four-seam Rizzo swing was 33%, which is so good. League average is 26% with a 16% swing strike rate. It was the pitch that we remember, 96 miles per hour. By the end, it was closer to 97. He, I think he lost his way a little bit in the beginning. Had, of course, the whole thing about, oh, yeah, I can't feel my fingers. And got that fixed, and he was himself again. So I feel pretty good about this. He's normally been a lock for just consistency. And 2020, 2021, just pretty much making all the starts. 2021 missed a couple, but that was about it. And obviously the injury this year, we're talking about Royman's disease. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I have a slight version of it with my toes. It's funny. But that doesn't I, sound funny. That's not No, funny. it's fine. It's like very, <laughs> it's very minimal. It's very common to have a minimal little bit. It's just like my toes get cold all of a sudden. Uh, sometimes it, but it's fine. It's like really my pinky toe. But uh, yeah, no one needs the pinky toe. It's not my fingers, fortunately. But uh, but yeah, Woodruff should be great again. There's your rock for the year, especially with this out of the way. So fifth round, and this is actually something I want to talk about before, because you mentioned really quickly, hey, you want to get your infield done faster than everything else. I generally agree with that sentiment. And I try to do that as much as I, I possibly can. I haven't figured out which are the truly weak positions yet. I think it's second base. I remember going through this. I thought I was going to be able to sneak Altuve. No, he went at the end of the second round. I was really upset about that one. I was thinking I could sneak in maybe Ozzy Albies later. For me, I got Marcus Semien in the fourth round. I felt like that was a steal, but maybe I'm actually being silly about the whole stolen base thing, and maybe I'm talking myself out of my own pick as Ozzy Albies went after that. But then on my list was, I wonder how late Trevor's story is going to fall. Because I think he actually had, oddly, a still productive season in the limited time he had. In just 94 games and sub-400 plate appearances, still at 16 home runs and 13 stolen bases in a high-power Boston offense, 66 RBI. He wasn't as strong in the average department, of course, 238, which is nothing close to the near 300s he had inside of Coors and 251 last year, which is a very odd year, we thought, for Trevor Story. There's still a feeling that he can rebound the pressure being off in Boston as it was so heavy on him early. And now it's like, all right, Trevor Story's just here and who cares? I think there can be much better things for him. By the way, his ex-average, 238 from average, 198 ex-average according to us. Oh boy, not fun there. But here you are going for him at this, I guess this is a sixth round now, or fifth round, I'm sorry, four, fifth, sixth turn. Paired him with Shoei Otani, we'll talk about in a second the pitcher. How do you feel about Trevor Story? I feel really good about Trevor Story. I probably shouldn't say that based on all the numbers you just threw out there, especially that <laughs> X average. But yeah, I, exactly what you said about second base is something that I will be focusing on fairly early. And I think that Trevor Story is a second or third round talent that is getting pushed down based on what we saw him do in Fenway Park last year, which was abysmal, especially in the first half, as you mentioned. You get yeah. something to remember, and I'm going to put on my Alex Think Fast hat here a little Go bit. Ahead. He, yes, he got the big contract. There's a lot of pressure there. He also had a kid at the beginning of the beginning of the season. He got injured. That helps like, guys. Right away. Sometimes that hurts. Sometimes him, you know? ask Josh Hader. It doesn't always help you. It doesn't yeah, always sure, help you. Yeah, sure, sure. You got other things on your mind. As somebody who has two kids right. myself, yeah, I, I can I can understand that a little bit more. And on top of that, he got injured like right away and really had a hard time coming back from that. And when he came back, he got injured again and it took him a really long time to get acclimated to 
not only Boston, as most people know, it's not easy to play in a market such as Boston or New York or some of the other larger media outlets. And so I have, he he did lose shortstop eligibility going into the year. I'm not putting it. I'm not saying he's going (laughs) to lose that going out into going into the season. We don't know what's going to happen with Xander Bogarts and how Boston is going to handle that. A lot of a lot of thought process from Red Sox fans is that we signed Story as a backup plan to losing Bogarts, mm. so that we have a backup at shortstop. Anyway, second base is where he played, regardless of if he got that eligibility back on my team. Anyway, oh yeah, you have Bobby Witt in and Tatis, so that's the shortstop. And we'll go. We got a couple more options. Oh, there's down more. The line oh wow, well. that's right. You certainly did that. <laughs> Trevor Story to me is going to be talked about a lot. Some people are going to jump in on it. Some people are going to avoid it. I see him as a the second base backup plan. I am I'm talking myself into de-emphasizing stolen bases more and more as I do this podcast with you. So his dual threat isn't as important as it used to be. Now I took Marcus Semi. I'm like, what am I doing? Should have taken Ozzy Albies, but whatever. I it's I, I still feel he's a step above Gunnar Henderson, Jazz Chisholm, who went earlier in the fifth, maybe not, but uh, Andres Jimenez, Jake Cronenworth, uh, and so on and so forth. There is a gap for me there. He's going to get a lot of runs in RBI. He's going to get home runs. He's going to be productive. He's going to get stolen bases, right? The average, sure. But again, 25% versus 27%, right? So not a huge deal with Trevor Story, I think, in that regard. Roto League's definitely something to consider if you are Taking Trevor Story, there might be an average hit that is going to affect you more for the long term of the season. But I, but yeah, I like this pick in the fifth round. I'm not going to give you the seal because I feel like he could go in the sixth or seventh a little early. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe we start seeing Trevor Story in the fourth round because of just the lack of solid second base options. We're going to talk about Shohei Otani, the pitcher in the sixth here. And Shohei Otani, the pitcher, did wonderful things. 233 ERA, 101 whip, 33% carries. That carry is fifth best in the majors. He still earned you 15 wins. That's tied for eighth most in the majors. He did over 166 innings, which is shocking to me. I was really not expecting more than 130. I thought that's what he did in 2021. He was pretty much pushed the entire season. He did more than that instead of just 23 starts. He made 28 of them. Are you just expecting more of the same here from Shoei Otani? It's hard to expect the same out of a guy like Otani, just because you don't know what to expect as far as his usage goes. I think the only thing you should be expecting is, I think something you mentioned in a previous podcast, like you're not going to get a two-star week out of him, like more than likely. And in a head-to-head league, that actually, like as after I made this pick and then a couple picks later, Zach Gallen came off the board. I was shooting myself for not going after Gallen instead of Otani. Mm-hmm. If for nothing else, just that volume. Now, what Otani can do in one start is just as good as almost just about anybody else. You're just not going to get that added boost, that added volume out of him in your pitcher slot. That being said, he's still putting up the innings. As long as the Angels let him go every sixth day, he still ends up playing throughout the season on a regular basis, pending any new injuries or anything like that. And of course, we're right. knock on wood for that. Never want to see that and maybe ever he's again. Maybe not even in Los Angeles. There's the, there's that possibility as well. There's also a possibility of new ownership in, in Los Angeles by the time midseason rolls around, however sure. long that takes. And how they end up changing how the Angels are run is, I think, <laughs> being anticipated by a lot of people across 
a lot of baseball fans that just want to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani do yeah, well. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be just so good for baseball. I will say this about Otani really quickly. If you're wondering, man, how did he have such a good season? He increased his slider usage from about 21, 22%, all the way up to about 39%. And it's one of the best pitches in baseball. A 72% strike rate despite a 18% hard contact rate. And by the way, his overall hard contact rate, sixth best in the majors, just under 20%. Essentially, he's just not allowing guys to hit the ball hard. And that's a very good thing to do as a pitcher. That's your ultimate goal. Don't let them hit it hard. 40% CSW on the slider. And yeah, that that's everything that you want out of Otani, the pitcher. He also went pretty deep into games consistently. His innings per game was about six. And you're wondering, is that league average... League average is about five and a third, and he went six, a fair amount. Really good to see that through 90 pitches per game, 93 pitches, which is a high amount as well. Had some ridiculous outings through the season. He also had some really short ones, and I think that really ruins the ruins the whole innings per game. He had a couple that were four or fewer, but constant six, and yeah, Otani's really good. I think this is a peak. And I generally, when it comes to getting an early pitcher, I shy away from purchasing the peaks. I love Spencer Strider, but I don't think it was a peak necessarily. I think it's just more of a sign to come. Same with Christian Javier. There's There, there are plateaus and peaks. And I think there are certain times when I think someone achieved a plateau. And other times I feel like it's such an extreme that has to come down somewhere. I feel like Shohei Otani's, especially with the playing time, is more of the peak. But the stupidest part about the offseason, Adam, the worst part of what we do is ex- is predicting playing time in innings. Oh my God, it's the worst. So much of this value is just rooted in how much are they going to pitch. If Otani goes 180 innings, he's a top 10 starter easily. If he goes 166 again for you, this is a fantastic pick. If he goes 130, 140, I don't know. And that's the difference here. So the same thing done. same thing that happens on the hitter side in the offseason. Wondering, yeah. where's this guy going to bat in the lineup? How many plate appearances oh, is he going to get? What kind of volume are we going to see out of him? And yeah, we have four months, five months to stew in that. <laughs> oh, God. So it begins. We're going to move on to your next pick here. Seventh round, it's Dalton Varsho. Tell me everything I need to know about Dalton Varsho. Dalton Varsho, if you're looking at the Razzball player rater, it, can you get uh, where he rated, not for catcher, but just for outfield? I'm going to assume I'm you not, don't have that in front. I'm not looking at that, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously fantasy directed. He was the 16th most valuable outfielder. Wow. Now, being able to plug him in at catcher, he played plenty of catcher last year. He's not going to lose that eligibility. Yeah, 31 um, games. Yeah, he very well might do play it enough as a backup catcher next year to gain it into 2024. That's another podcast in another <laughs> year. But, all right, so I don't think we can talk about my pick Varsho here without talking about my very next pick that I picked back-to-back. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Um, and that was Sal- Salvador Perez. And so I got, a, I got some flack in the chat for picking two catchers back-to-back in a one-catcher league. Let me specify that. But this um, is smart, I think, if you pair it with Varsho. It only works, yes. It only works if you pair him with Varsho or later on the draft, you have MJ Melendez, who's playing every day and has outfield eligibility as well. Yeah. But Varsho has the whole, he showed the whole package last year as far as production, as far as fantasy production goes, stealing bases, 
hitting home runs, 27 home runs, 16 stolen bases, just shy of 80 runs and RBIs each. All of the other metrics, as I am also look, using the pitcherless player pages, not that great. Sure. K percentage, 24.5. In this day and age, I'll take the 27 home runs if it comes yeah. with a 24% K rate, or probably should have said that the opposite, opposite way, but still getting on base plenty. Walk rate above or just below average at 7.8% compared to the 8.1 major league average. Hard contact rate, not what you want to see, but he's hitting the ball in the air plenty, getting in the ball in an opportunity so it's still going to hit, get over the fence. He's being able to provide me with as much flexibility with Salvador Perez as my starting catcher, who's getting me my power, where Salvi, even though Salvi plays pretty much every day when healthy, splitting time between DH and catcher for Kansas City, he's still going to get a day off here or there. And especially, this is true, I think, in Roto and head-to-head leagues, that volume, the more at-bats you can get, even in a small time frame, like in a head-to-head league, can make all the difference when it comes down to getting that one extra RBI or that one extra hit to boost your average up from 24% to 27% or whatever it might be. And so the flexibility that Farshow gives me to start in my outfield, still produce like a outfield one or outfield two, but then be able to move him in not to lose at bats at the catcher position, plug in one of my backup outfielders into that position for the day, especially in a daily moves league. This was exactly what I was going for here. So this is interesting. The emphasis are you giving, you can look at John Metzler's team. John Metzler has made it to the finals of our legacy league. I think five straight years or something like that, four or five. It's pretty hilarious. Him and Rick Graham have always gotten against each other. That's a reliever guy and our formerly our hitterless guy. And John Metzler, what he does is he drafted in this one five starting pitchers in the first eight rounds. And he emphasized the whole rule of, I just need volume for my hitters. I just need to get as much. It doesn't matter who it is. I just need to get runs and RBI and everything. And I have good pitchers and that will keep me in that one. And then I just need to get my seven acquisitions every week will go to a hitter. That's his whole game plan. And it's really important to head to head leagues. It's about volume. It's about if we emphasize on the quality of the position, it's not, it doesn't matter as much, but it's about getting seven games a week at every position for hitters. Sure. And it's why I talk about the first month I'm trying to get my pitchers. And then after that month, I'm trying to stream hitters, right? That's like my, that's the goal essentially. So I completely understand getting that from the catcher spot. The catcher spot's always the one we give up on when we do this and to be able to have that flexibility. So, hey, most days I'm going to have actually something from my catcher instead of having two catchers because you're not. You're getting Varsho in there. That's a pretty cool thing. I will say that the player Raider is emphasizing a lot with Varsho the stolen bases. So 16 stolen bases is a huge deal. And I don't know if that emphasis will still be there next year. I was just saying the guys at 10-15, I'm going to like more because I'm uh, hopefully Varsho raises with that tide as well, like a proper boat instead of an anchor. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know if that's how anchors work. But uh, well, Varsho also, as we talked about earlier with Bobby Witt, caught six times last year. So he made those 22 attempts. He could benefit from that as well. I, I will say this about catcher. And you talk about Metzler's team. That's the one position that he waited until the end. I think he took the very last catcher off the board. Travis Darno. he's not going to give you the kind of volume you're talking about. But the what could be said about the catch position this year more so than I think any other year in recent memory is that there is some, there's a lot of depth 
at that position compared to what we've seen in the past with the addition of Adley Rutschman and Will Smith being still as Cal Rowley. (laughs) Rowley. Yeah. He was still on waiver wires in like August in some shallower leagues. 27 home runs. Let's go. (laughs) Who got him? I don't remember. Oh, wait, me. JTL Ramuto had such an insane season. Adley Rutschman, of course, I think is going to be the one to get personally. But, uh, but all right. So we're going to move on here. But right there, there were two other guys, by the way, that had Taylor Stevenson and Sean Murphy went after Travis Darno, but that was the 18th round. Stevenson was a great pick from Metzler. But right. That's a very good point there about you still getting more of that volume. Something definitely to think about if you do get Varsha, do consider getting a second catcher and really aim for that play in a head to head league. That might raise Varsho's value even more significantly just because you can do something like that. John Carlos Stanton and Lance Lynn, ninth and 10th round. And I really wanted to get Stanton. I was really upset to see him go. I was wondering how late I can wait on this. I was debated between him and Cal Raleigh. Uh, and I was maybe going to take him in the 10th round. And there's the last like real legitimate power option. And if you say, oh, he doesn't get as many games or he doesn't play as much i don't know if that's really that important because you stick him on the il and he gives you 31 home runs in 110 games that's pretty cool much better getting that than the suspended ones or if you tell me you can just i don't know you get more condensed production that's a wonderful thing so i like this pick tell me more about it yeah, it's exactly that. With Stan, what you get is you don't just get Stan. You get Stan and the replacement player that you're right. going to use to fill in the gaps. Now, that plays better in a that argument plays better in the Roto yes. League. But in a head-to-head, like Stan, Stan is paired with Salvarez and Pete Alonso on this team just to get that power boost. As you mentioned, Stan pretty much won the last, if not the last true like 50 home run threat if healthy throughout the season. Guy left on the board. I guess maybe you can make an argument for a Joey Gallo or something like that. Who knows what's going to happen I'm not going to make there. that argument. No. <laughs> That's <laughs> fair. But yeah, he's still, he's not going anywhere. He's playing, he's still playing in Yankee Stadium. He's not going to hurt me when he's injured, as we just talked about, because he does get to be plugged into that IL stint. It is a daily moves league. It is head to head. So the more flexibility you have of moving guys in and out of your lineup, the better here. He still has outfield eligibility, played plenty in the outfield last year, even with the injuries. And he's doing yoga, right? So he's going to be, <laughs> him and Judge took up yoga. So they're supposed to be healthier longer for forever. So this was, I want to say it's a no brainer here at this point point in the draft but like past pick 100 for a guy like Stanton who in a head-to-head league he should be going earlier based on what he can do for your team in any given week in a head-to-head style form so the 211 average I think is what's going to scare some people away and I should also mention he had three home runs in his final three games so I wonder if seeing the 31 homers versus the 28 homers is gonna sway a lot more people to go after Stanton but yeah, he's not going to have a 211 average again. I, his Babbitt was 227 with an X Babbitt. I have the X Babbitt somewhere. X Babbitt was 278 and a 227 just seems wrong. So I wonder if that's shifting. I wonder if that's just them playing farther back against him, something along those lines. But his X Bacon is 456. And that's, <laughs> that is so high. <laughs> 366 the is the normal one but i uh, 
that's expected Woba on contact, not including the strikeouts and stuff, which makes sense. 30% strikeout rate, which did go up. He also had this horrible slump Stanton did in about, I guess it was August or so, that he finally broke out of at the end of September. And hopefully that doesn't come back. And if he can avoid that drastic slump, then yeah, you can get something close to a 260 average with legitimate power. This is a seal of approval here in the ninth round. Congratulations. You got it. I got you the got one. That's all I need. I'm That's all, you're not going to get any others. I don't know. I think End the podcast I, here. <laughs> I'm more reluctant to give away seals of approvals, I think, early in these because I don't know yet. <laughs> I'm not quite as aware of the field. I'm learning as I go through these podcasts. So I'm learning with everybody listening what is good and what is bad. And Lance Lynn, though, 10th round. Oh, I was upset. I, w- I was really sad that you took my Lance Lynn away from me because this is what happened is it gets to be, I'm trying to think of my own rankings now. It gets to be the fifth tier of starters, which is the fifth tier is the ones I don't really like. Like Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Logan Webb, uh, Framber Valdez is in there. I know Val- Valdez is going to go higher than I, I want him, but it's, it's these guys who are good, but not, I don't think actually have that SP1 ceiling. And Lance Lynn is a part of the previous tier. And I don't want to have to go into the, the fifth tier if I don't have to. Because Lance Lynn really picked up by the end of the year. The four-seamer was back. He had his cutter working. It was, yeah, this is Lance Lynn after those first six starts or so after injury. And, yeah, it would feel so good having Lance Lynn. He's like Brandon Woodruff almost. And you got him in the 10th round. You must have been stoked about this. Yeah, 36 starter off the board. Ah. God, thirtieth. He's thirtieth on your list. I'm just saying, I got some value there based on your list yeah. alone. Anyway, yeah, it's all about the second half, or not even the second half for Flynn. Just the production he was put. He came back to into his own, as you mentioned, and he proved that. Hey, yeah, I'm still Lance Lynn. I still can put up the volume. I can still put up the numbers that you need on a daily basis. And you know what? Like I traded for Lance Lynn in a in one of my head-to-head leagues last year solely because he just started turning it around. And so I'm like, I got to grab him now while he still has a 5.3 ERA. <laughs> um, yeah, and as go. I can see that he's putting things back together in a head-to-head league. What you do in September matters a lot more than what you do in 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 April and May, and so I, this was a no brainer here for me, especially since he's only my he's my SP three on this roster, and I very much, especially in a redraft head to head league, kind of go. I try to go with your mentality of you need to have those four starters that you're going to trust the whole year and not worry right. about the other the second half of your. Not worry about it, but you can take more risk later on in your in your. I've said this before. I feel that there are a far more. There's a lot of guys that I really do feel good about this year, and risks that I talk about outside the four that you trust feel more stable than ever. There are more stable in the sense of a higher probability of them being stable. Sure. So that if you get three of them, there's a higher chance of one of them really working out. Um, and I'm talking about like your Jack Flaherty, your uh, Reed Detmers, your Jeffrey Springs. I don't know. Grayson Rodriguez or Tarek Skubor, Tyler McGill, Mackenzie Gore. I just feel like in general, when we have gone for guys, I've chased them. I've had these fun ones. These feel more stable than they used to. Jesus Lazardo, John Gray, like Pablo Lopez. Still like, fun. Yeah. Those guys I feel pretty good about. 
I just don't touch Tony Gonsolin. But anyway, that's a, he just caught a stray there. He didn't deserve that. But right, that mentality I think is really important. And you're right up against it. That's why I went after Logan Gilbert in the 10th. Because I'm not going to drop Logan Gilbert the entire year. Do I like him? Do I think he's like Nestor Cortez? No. I think Nestor Cortez is way better. But fine. I want Lance Lynn instead of Logan Gilbert. But fine. I'm not going to drop him. Same with Chris Bassett. I'm not going to drop him. So... There are more of these, I think, that you can settle on. And yeah, I'm going to say it again. I say it every year, like sixth through tenth round, man, you can feast once again on so many starters. I My first starter was Aaron Nolan in the fifth round. I couldn't believe that. I had no intention of doing that. But there it was. Like I, I have a top ten starter effectively in the fifth round after getting four stud hitters. And then I don't need to get another one until the eighth round now because I feel like I've gotten a better one than I would get in the sixth and seventh. Just... It's much easier, I think, this year than it usually is. I need to find a way to make sure I get Christian Javier, though. I'm, I was upset he won in the eighth, and I was like, dang it. <laughs> Man, I thought I was going to be able to sneak Christian Javier, and I can't even do it in the first mock. You know, he's going to be like the fifth round by March, and it's so dumb. Because he is Spencer Strider. He is. Okay, I don't know how we got here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> do you have anything else you wanted to add there? Now, the only other thing, and this is thinking way too much about it too, is they're going through managerial changes in Chicago, but the one constant, Lance Lynn is who he is. Like he's yeah. not, in my mind, he's not going to be the type of guy who lets a new face come in and dictate what he's going to do. He's going to go in and, hey, I've been doing right. this for years. I know what I'm doing. Just let me go to my thing. So I'm not yeah. worried about that. Don't let the 399 ERA worry you. It should be closer to 336. Sure. Okay. We're going to speed through this. It's 10 guys. I'm so sorry. It's been an hour. My bad. All my fault. Andrew Heaney and Andrew Vaughn. You're like, you know what? I need two Andys in my life. Like I'm Woody and Buzz. How are you feeling about these picks? Let's see. I like the Vaughn pick more than the Heaney pick. Okay. Though I, this is really the this is the point of the draft where I really started just drafting all the guys that are in my home dynasty league just because <laughs> I felt more comfortable with them. Between okay. Stanton, Lynn, Heaney, Vaughn, four straight picks there. Anyway. I like, obviously, he still was starting. Actually, the first at the beginning of the year, Heaney wasn't giving up the home runs. And all of a sudden, he, remi- he reminded himself, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what I do. I give up home runs. Um, <laughs> even with the Dodgers kind of fixing other aspects of his game. As you mentioned in previous podcasts, he's a free agent. He's still going to You have to assume that he's going to take whatever he got from the Dodgers right. with him, wherever he's going to go. The strikeouts, regardless of how many innings, like he can pitch four innings and still put up eight, eight, ten strikeouts. And so this was a pure this was an all upside slash. I want my strikeout. I need my strikeouts here based on the rest of my rotation. Andrew Vaughn. Every day, first baseman for the Chicago White Sox next year is my anticipation. I'm of the camp that believes the White Sox are going to move on from Jose Abreu and finally install Vaughn into the first base slot, which is what they drafted him to do. In my opinion, they did not draft him to be a left fielder. Yeah, no. (laughs) So I anticipate him getting plenty of reps. And yes, without Tony La Russa there, I am hoping that he moves up in that lineup and produces more of the with the volume that we talked about as far as counting stats go. I'm going to give you two stats. One is Andrew Heaney's swing striker, 18.4% across 73 innings. That's second most among starting pitchers on the top 200 of batters pay- faced. If you guys notice, we don't do qualified and everyone else does. We do it based on the top 200 batters faced because that's more relevant for fantasy, I believe, which is fascinating. 18.4%, second best in the majors. And Andrew Vaughn, he's 36.7% hard contact rate, sixth best in the majors. 
that's pretty cool. That's based on plate appearances. So that includes all the strikeouts, all the walks, all that kind of stuff. He doesn't walk a lot. So he has a lot of opportunities to hit. A lot of his at-bats or plate appearances end in contact. But if you have 30% of the time you go up to the plate and you have hard contact, good things are going to happen. His IPA rate, 30%, 47th best in the majors. Give him proper playing time, comfortable spot at first base. I like this pick a lot. Lots of interesting ideas there about if Andrew Vaughn is going to be the everyday first baseman for the White Sox. Out of the gate, he does have first base eligibility 23 games this past year. And he'll keep the outfield eligibility as well. Oh, man. You, you might be having me in on Andrew Vaughn based so on So I'm not picking him contact. here to be my first baseman. I got Pete Alonso here. But right. I am of the opinion, especially in a daily move head-to-head league, as we talked about with back-to-back catchers, I want to have a backup at every position without filling my... Sure, sure, So if I got a guy who's going to be in my outfield but has first base eligibility, Pete Alonso rarely has a day off. But if he does, I can swap him in and get those extra at-bats there. I really... This Vaughn pick, is it 12th round? I feel like that's where he's going to go, is here. Just 17 home runs last year. It It was 550 plate appearances. 17 home runs. We're still waiting for another dimension with him a 52 percent ground ball rate is the problem that might be part of the hard contact raising into the ground a little too much fly ball exit velocity is at 89 which is uh which is slightly above average but nothing to write home about i, I want to uh, I, I uh, development th- is not a it's not a linear thing you'll be 25 next year interesting there's also this is what he came up doing yeah. as a prospect and at uc berkeley like he's a hitter with a lot with more power than he's shown he's coming into that right now in his soon to be age 25 yeah. season if I'm you look give you back a seal. in the draft yeah. who, what other what outfielders in the three rounds prior are you taking or you feel more comfortable than Andrew Vaughn? Like I, I'm taking Andrew Vaughn over every single outfielder that was taken prior to him up until maybe up until Darren Varshow. Like I take him over Brian Reynolds. I take him over Chris Bryant, Stephen Kwan, even with what he brings to the table. Tyler, Tyler O'Neill with all his question marks. Yeah. But what about Hunter Renfro? <laughs> Do you have some interest in Hunter? I don't know why you suggest that. Vaughn Grissom and uh, Kenley Jansen were your next two. You didn't get a closer. I really messed up on the whole closer thing. So uh, that's one thing about my draft. I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't know anything about closer, so I just didn't take them. But what I'm supposed to do in my head is you take just one of them, Nick, and then you say that is a different closer. And I didn't do that. I cheated. (laughs) That's that's right. Yeah, I I cheated. And I only really took one closer. Then I took Matt Brash to the end because maybe he slides into the closer role. He won't. We all know this. He doesn't. Still, no. Narrator. Maybe he will. He doesn't. <laughs> but maybe he does. Uh, <laughs> Alvarado was a much better pick in the 23rd round. What do you know by Rick Graham? But uh, talk to me about Vaughn and or the other Vaughn. Wow. You really did a whole thing here. Andrew oh, Vaughn. Right. <laughs> Andy Vaughn. Grissom and Jansen. Which do you like better between those two picks? Oh, the Jansen pick is much better. I look back on this after the fact. I, at the time, I really liked the Von Grissom. And the more I looked over this draft and the more in the later in the draft I got, the more I started regretting picking Grissom here. Not to say that I don't have favorable feelings over how Von Grissom's going to produce another second baseman. I think he's a really good second late second base dart throw here, especially at that position, should play every day for Atlanta. If you subscribe to the idea like I do that Swanson is not going to be back, you got to assume that Grissom, as he was coming up as a shortstop, moves into an everyday shortstop position for Atlanta. 
and thus he'll still play every single day, even with Ozzy Albies. And when Ozzy Albies came back for what, a two-day period this year, <laughs> Grissom was still playing. They ta- dabbled with playing him in left field. They wanted to keep his bat in the lineup. And so I, I do think that he, they're going to find a way to keep him regardless of what the rest of the infield looks like. That being said, I didn't need Grissom here, especially based on the picks I made prior, which Trevor Story playing second base, and then some of my later dart throws later on in the draft. And so I probably should have gone either for another starter or I should have gone back-to-back closers here. That's to say there really aren't weren't any closers to take here. The argument can obviously be made that Daniel Bard was great for Colorado. Still, he's doing it for Colorado, and they obviously feel strongly enough to give him an extension at his age based on his production, but I'm not going to invest heavily in him throughout the course of draft season. And then David Bednar, the Pirates have actually came out and said that he's probably not going to be the set closer and for a bad team. And so I'm not looking at him as an option. Jansen was the last, regardless of whether or not he's a free agent, which he is, he's, he was still the last guy on the board that I felt really comfortable moving into a permanent closer role based on opportunity. He's going to take a spot somewhere. Might be in Boston, as Heim Bloom said, he's going to be spending on relievers. Might be in Miami, which is where all the rumors were last year. As right, yep. Craig Mish has yep. said that they're probably going to go out and get a closer set there as well. So I think there's going to be lots of opportunities for him to come back. Either He might even go back to the Dodgers. He said so publicly as well. That's, he's not closing the door there as well. So I think Jansen was the last opportunity to get a guy who should be a top closer and if he is in a closer role he's he'll start going a lot higher in drafts than the top of the 14th round second in saves this past year that's pretty cool he really and even with the limitations that, that they put on him based on health concerns with, right. with his heart and all that and having Rossiello Iglesias as his backup for the entire year and so. it's nice playing for Atlanta yeah <laughs> it doesn't that's, hurt that's a, that's a good thing as well but yeah, I think getting Jansen this late is a fantastic pick. This is a seal of approval. I should have taken him instead of Clay Holmes, the Adobe. Uh, good stuff here. And with Vaughn Grissom, you just stay with Atlanta for the most part. But yeah, I didn't I, happen to be on their roster page. I'm like, oh yeah, let's do guys. <laughs> <laughs> there certainly is some upside with this. I wonder where Vaughn will bat in the lineup for Atlanta. And he was at the nine spot a decent amount this year. It's possible uh, he sticks there. And if he does, then I don't know if I really want to go for him too much. If you look, uh, as he was, as this, as his season, his late season progressed, he actually was jumping over Michael Harris the second. Yeah, for a it was. Uh, it. So I'm looking at like on the 19th, 2021, he was ninth and then he was sixth and then eighth and seventh and eighth. And then he was a pinch hitter on his last day of the year. What do you do with that lineup, though? Like, where do you? Pick? I know that's a problem, though. Sure. And I won't that's be surprised if Atlanta does put him right in the bottom third. Let's say you lose Swanson. Sure. But there's still question marks there about that. So I don't know if I'm necessarily going to jump in on that one. I didn't really think that you needed to. But then again, having more flexibility, I understand your value in that. And that makes sense. Speaking of flexibility, 15th and 16th rounds. Oh, man. Uh, you only have four starters, to be fair, and it's the 15th round, and I just get palpitations when I see that. <laughs> but no, I Aldoberto Mondesi was your pick here. Uh, why did you go back to Mondesi into the middle infield? It pained me to make this pick. So why'd you do it? You didn't have to. Because it was pick 180, and what he can bring, what he could bring to the table, uh-huh. is worth pick 180. Is um, it though? It, we're at. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Kevin Hastings, my co-host over on The Wire, he'll be the first one to point out. I'm honestly, with all his strikeout concerns, he never has put up a poor batting average. He's never put up a batting average over the course of a season that actually hurts you. It's usually yeah. in the 250 range. That aside, he doesn't put up enough volume for that batting average to make a difference anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but the upside here at pick 180 is, especially with the the, the changes with stolen bases, we go back to stolen bases once again. I, I'm not getting a seal of approval. I'm not even trying to get a seal no. of approval here for this pick. I know that's <laughs> out the don't. window. Get out of here. <laughs> but I think this is about the spot. Like, I had him in a draft last year. I had him in one draft. I did over 20 drafts last year, and I only had him in one spot, and that's because I got him at pick 101. And it's just mm-hmm. if you guys are finally going to just let it drop there, obviously that didn't work out at 101, and, but it was an easy drop. And that's where 180 is, again, an easy drop here. Now, obviously looking back, like I would, I, I, I couldn't have because he went two picks before, but I had my eye on Charlie Morton. This is who I would, I, where I was going to go with this pick. But then Morton was off the board. And then I did a scramble of like, what am I going to do? I knew I was going to pick Aaron Ashby. That was my next pick here with the with his pockets. So I wanted to pair Ashby with somebody more stable. And I did the exact opposite of that by picking Mondesi. Yeah, you certainly did. I uh, So we're not going to talk about Mondesi anymore because I don't. I, his 15th round is fine. <laughs> It's up to you if you want to do it. I don't think you need to chase a guy like Mondesi in a head-to-head league personally. But maybe I could be completely off off base here. He has only one season of 100 games. Uh, And that's just, oh boy. I would say if you are still chasing stolen bases, he is the stand of stolen bases. Yeah, he is the one to go after. I'm probably being too harsh on this. I did not need to make this pick though. I mean, I also found myself being like, what is there left? So fair enough. (laughs) Aaron Ashby. I am in the camp of I question too much of his fastball command and how good the sinker actually is. The slider is great. The changeup is really good too. Sometimes inconsistent, but when he locks in with the slider and the changeup, it's great. Fastball, though, I think is where he gets beat up too much. And he reminds me a little bit of the Patrick Sandoval of it isn't quite all coming together. He will now have a full season in that rotation, though, as the Brewers obviously believe in him, giving him a contract extension, essentially, or signing a contract with them to cover arbitration and all. How do you feel about this Ashby pick? Ashby is going to be the guy that I can't quit for the next couple of years, regardless. I get it. I get it. Uh, and, and a lot of it has to do not only with the talent that he showed last year coming up, and then uh, even what he was able to do in short spins this year. It was really frustrating to roster. Anybody who actually rostered Ashby throughout the entire season, for whatever reason, will echo what I say there. I just have a hard time. It's what the Brewers have been able to do with some of these guys that have come up. Corbin Burns is the number one guy that comes to mind where he first came up with a extremely high walk rate, 7.2, 10%, 8.5%. And it was able to obviously adjust things in to and I'm not saying Aaron Ashby is Corbin Burns but I was also burned on Corbin Burns where I had him in a dynasty league and I dropped him after the first year of not being oh yeah that, that right. yeah the yeah. cutter was totally different and then he fixed yeah. it and, and that's it, it, you shouldn't it's probably not good strategy to hold on to hope in an offseason where a guy mm-hmm. like Ashby can come in and actually fix things that he saw himself do in the regular season that that hurt and come back as a new pitcher 
but I am holding out hope for that. <laughs> I, I get it. No, I, you should do. Really, this is the hardest part is that we know the slider and changeup are great. He has to fix the sinker, in my view. I just think his command of it isn't good enough. But this stuff gets fixed. It just does sometimes. And you don't know when. You don't know how. You don't know if it will or not. The ceiling is high with Ashby. Uh, despite all the things I'm talking about, he still had the 15th best hard contact rate allowed at 21.5%. And that's really good. Having a, I, I talk about it a lot. I don't really like ground ball rates, but I do like ground ball rates with high strikeout rates and high swing strike rates. And he had a 31%, sorry, 31st best strikeout rate at 26.5%. And his ground ball rate at 59% was fourth best in the majors. And those are weak ones, as I saying, the hard contact is very good. Now, 30% swing strike rate could be a little bit better. I like seeing like a 15, 16% swing strike rate with that excellent ground ball rate, like Luis Castillo, what's up? And um, when you're at your peak, or maybe even Aaron Nola at times. But I can't help myself but think, ah, is he actually going to do well enough with the command? Because it's a 10% walk rate right now. He's not in control of this. And I don't. I, it speaks to volatility too much at the moment. He really does need to make some adjustment here to rein that in. And I hope he does it. I think he got really unfortunate last year. The hit per nine was at nine hit per nine. That should come down closer to the 7.2 we saw in the 2021 in 31 innings or so. Maybe something like, I don't know, eight. Fine. That's going to go so far to help him out pulling down the whip from 143. Ashby maybe just needs the normal time of the rotation. Maybe just needs more time developing and figuring it out. He's not going to go two and ten again. I'll tell you that. I don't want. I feel like I'm going to be unclear about Ashby in April and May still, and that's the problem I think with Ashby. I think there's some other guys in this range that I'm going for instead, like Tyler McGill. I think I'm going to feel a little bit better about early on. Reed, Reed Detmers, honestly, if he has a slider, great. If he doesn't, I'm gone. Uh, Kenta Maeda, we'll know what we get from Kenta Maeda. Is the fastball there? Is he going slider, splitter? Cool. Mackenzie Gore. Those I feel a little bit clearer on, but if you want to go Ashby, you can go Ashby. I, I, it can just click and be insanely I mean, it, good. Ashby, as you're alluding to, is this is an upside pick in general. Oh, yeah. And, and so it really depends on round. how you've built the rest of your rotation. Great uh, point. I do think that I've got my top three have a little bit more stability, even with Otani only pitching once a week. There's a little bit more stability there that can balance that out. That being said, if that's not how you, if you took a lot of risks early on, especially in your rotation, Ashby's probably not the direction you should be going. I, I'm looking at your team right now and I feel bad for you that like, I don't know, like John Gray, Luzardo, Lopez, and Ryan went in the 11th round before your Heaney pick. Because I feel like you needed that one extra one. And you didn't quite find it. Because I like what you're doing with Stanty. Can't say no to that. And the Varsho Perez thing is pretty sneaky. Maybe if you got in Varsho and then not Perez and gotten one more starter there. Or if like, I didn't take Von Grisham and I took somebody like Jordan Montgomery. Or even or like, Giolito hoping he makes a, a return back to where yeah. he was. Um, they went right the, after Chris. Is the difference between Perez and something a catcher in the 13th round that massive? Probably, right? <laughs> as far as power goes, yeah, it's probably still yeah. there. Yeah, because then you can get like Christian Javier and oh my God, you'd be killing mm. it. <laughs> you'd be killing it. Okay. I'm, I, I'm moving on here. So you got another starter in the 17th with Jose Urquidy. You paired him with Paul Seawald. 
hoping that he closes in Seattle. Talk to me about those picks. Oh, it's not going to be Matt Brash. I'll tell you that much. So it's probably fine. Be Paul <laughs> you never know. Okay. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> no, I, Seawall again, I didn't love the pick, but he was, he, again, he's the one, he's the closer now. I expect him to at least start off 2023 as the closer in Seattle. I don't expect Seattle to go out and get a closer off a free agency. I think people might think is that Andre Munoz would end up becoming the closer yeah, in Seattle right. in short order, especially with Seawall's history being just a, a really good fireman. You got to remember, he didn't, like a lot of people thought he was going to be the closer last year, and it took him a long time to actually get any saves as well. So I don't love the pick, but at the same time, I don't have any other closers except Jansen, who doesn't have a guaranteed role as we are recording this. ED, it's just a little bit more stability. I know he's not the fun pick. He's not the no, outside pick. He's, he's the opposite of Ashby. He's just Toby. <laughs> I know. I don't know. All right. Tell me why you hate Jose Rikidi. Because he doesn't do enough that he won't get to a point of being like, oh, hey, oh, man, I'm so excited that I have Jose Urquidy. Like, you're going to feel it's possible he gets back to a 273. No, he's not going to do that. If he gets like a, if he gives you a season of 3536, three, cool. And he's not going to do that 0.99 whip he did in uh, 2021 again. He's a kitchen sink guy who also lost his kitchen sink for a while this year. It could be better. It could be better than it was this past year for Rikidi. Two, 394 ERA, 164 innings, 117 whip. Like There could be much different stuff here. I personally think that roster spot is better spent chasing other things than Rikidi, personally. I think there's a lot on the board at this point that are way more fun. See how Trevor Rogers looks. If you really are Tarek Rogers Skubel was somebody I was considering, but again, or, or, I kind or of Tarek put Skubel a lot of, or yeah. is Mike Soroka actually doing it or not? You, if you want to hate on that one, that's fine. <laughs> but I, I guess what I'm seeing is like you have Tywin Walker in the 20th round. It's like, sure. That's like the same thing to me as Arkady. If you're going to go for that or Marcus Stroman when the 21st, there you go. Maybe you're going for a lower whip with Arkady, but you probably going to get a better ERA with Stroman. Nathan Eovaldi went in the last round. Uh, Bailey Ober's in the 22nd. That's a very interesting one. Jameson Tyone, which is pretty much the same thing to me as Urquidy, the 20th round as well. I just don't have interest chasing after Urquidy. I think they're try out Ronzi Contreras. See how that goes. There's something to be said. Literally almost every single pitcher you just mentioned, they're not in the Houston rotation. So there's something uh-huh. to be said about the opportunity. You don't chase wins. I get that. <laughs> sure. No, <laughs> I, no, I understand. When you I, compare that, the opportunity to get the wins for Kitty with Houston, that's something that that's went a fair my point. Mind. 13 wins this year, 20th tied for 20th in the majors across 164 innings. So he didn't even go the full 32 to get that. Tw- only 28 games started. That's a very fair point. If you feel that you're at a, a situation where I need a, I want to secure wins here, I get that. I certainly. I'm guilty of undervaluing wins because wins are weird. It, wins were the reason why people didn't touch Alcantara and he did just fine with wins this year, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're weird things. Uh, we talk about the DeGrom curse, of course. So that's a there's very still fair a category. Point. Yeah, there's still a category, unfortunately. We're going to move past Seawall. We're going to move past Urquidy. We're going to go now to CJ Abrams and Cody Bellinger in the 19th and 20th rounds. CJ Abrams now in the Nationals. Uh, he's batting second for the Nationals through the end of the year. You can check that out, of course, on our player pages. We have batting order for hitters in our game logs. On the last week, he did that not so much beforehand, but in the 
in Washington, he's getting his opportunities. There isn't much else in Washington to help him, but you got to think something may happen in the offseason. There might be a major play for a big signing. Uh, you could see something fun from C.J. Abrams, who was a highly regarded prospect for the Padres. Yeah, this is an opportunity slash volume play in the later rounds when it comes down to this is the pick that I made that made me also think I did not need to pick Von Grissom. Abrams, mm. second base, shortstop eligibility, can mix and match. He'll probably start the season in my in one of my UT spots, and I can pull him out of my lineup when I don't need stolen. If I've shored up stolen bases halfway through the week, if I've got three or four stolen bases through the first three days of the matchup, I can sit him down knowing I'm not going to lose anything else with him sitting on my bench. He has not grown into the power that we saw when he first came up. This is back in like rookie ball when he was smacking the ball around. He has not really shown that in the upper levels or in the majors. But as you mentioned, at least in Washington, playing every day at the top of the lineup, they are letting him run. Plenty of stolen base opportunities there to be had. And just needs to... He needs to f- figure out to get a way to get on base, which he did not do <laughs> last year with a 1.7 walk rate through in the limited time that he did show. And so this will be, again, this is very similar to what I said earlier with the other one of my picks. If he's showing that he's playing every day and that he's made adjustments in spring training, then I hold on to him for, for the first couple of weeks of the season and see how that turns out. If it's showing, if the Nationals are kind of showing their hand that, they're going to let him play every day, but maybe they're moving him back down to the bottom of the order or whatever, like Victor Robles style. Then this is somebody I don't have a problem kind of streaming in and out of my lineup if I really need a stolen base threat. But I think you're going to see that with Abrams in these shallower leagues where he's going to be a stolen base streamer throughout the course of the year. Somebody's going to feel confident enough in the category that they're going to drop him, and then somebody else is going to pick him up to gain that edge for the week and then not going to be worried about dropping him for a starter or something like that that they need in that given week. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot about C.J. Abrams in the offseason, especially in your the podcast to do 15 teamers as one of the last guys to go for stolen bases. You're not going to see it this year necessarily. You go, oh, he just had seven stolen bases and 300 plate appearances. Not exactly what you were saying. The Nationals are going to put him second. They're going to let him steal. He did. He stole bases second last game of the year. We're talking about the emphasis of stolen bases next year. 80 grade speed is given to him on fan graphs. He's 22 right now. Uh, he just turned 22. This kid is going to steal so many bases next year. And this is your moment to get stolen bases if you missed out on it. 19th round seal of approval for that. Just for that reason. of It's so hard to find something that you're, you can feel fine just plopping into your lineup if you need to. If for a category like that. Yeah, you get it for C.J. Abrams. I think that's a really interesting thing that people are going to be circling for a lot of their drafts. And I bet you, maybe in a 12-team or a little bit different, but especially in a 15-team or, oh my lord, there will be so many people that will be pumping their fist for getting him, I guess, what is this, like 210th or something? Yeah, um, something to keep draft. in mind, though, like you got to watch the rest of your league draft. And yeah. with Abrams in in this format that we're using he's listed as a shortstop but he'll have second base eligibility if there are one or two teams that just forgot about second base they might push abrams up in their draft knowing that this is the kind of production you could get out of that position that's so something to keep in mind he might not drop in a lot of cases this is my super discount second base if i don't get second base i'm already agreeing that i'm not going to go for stolen bases early on in my drafts anymore Uh, my kyle tucker get out of here Semyon, get out of here i don't care 
So I might be circling Abrams now as if I want to have one guy to steal stuff in my team. That's not like you're a 5'10 stolen base guy, whatever. CJ Abrams, second baseman, get him 15th, 16th round. Feel good about it and call it a day. I know it sounds crazy because he hasn't really done much yet, but I feel like this opportunity just too good. I don't think he's going to bat 246 or so. I feel like he's got a better hit tool than that. Yeah, get this guy a season. He's I really like this one from you. Cody Bellinger was the other guy you got. I, I dig this one too. What the heck, right? It's the 20th round. 20th Go round, you're guy who is just shy of 2020, right? Yeah, 19 and 14. Yeah, but just... uh, but right should steal more bases next year. We don't think there's one tweak away from Bellinger to do this. He's 27, going to turn 28 in July. You gotta think it's there for Bellinger to get it back. And what the heck? Why not draft him in the 20th round and see how April goes? That's exactly the mentality I had here. Right. I needed an out, back out. He's a backup outfielder, which is crazy to say about Cody Bellinger. Last year, it was Cody Bellinger versus Christian Yelich. They were going back to back in draft. And I said, who do you want? Place. I was like, neither. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen Yelich somehow it won out that, at least in this mock. Cody Bellinger going to me in the start of the 20th or the end of the 20th is... No, start, um, yeah, start, no, start of the start 20th. 20th. Right? I was right yeah, the first time. I got there. But even with somewhat missed time here, again, like you mentioned, 19 home runs, 14 stolen bases. I think there's a lot... I don't think this is going to happen, but there's always there's the possibility that he gets non-tendered as he's still oh, arbitration wow. eligible with the Dodgers as they have a lot of decisions to make. This year between, yeah, I think there's three members of the rotation that are free agents. Trey Turner, obviously. Cody Bellinger's arbitration. So they've got a lot of things to work out. There's that possibility that they don't tender him because he's still going to end up costing in the 18 to $20 million range after arbitration. He did win an MVP. Let's not forget that. That still right. counts. And so I'm curious to know where he ends up. We'll have no lack of suitors. Center field is not an easy position to fill, sure, especially yeah. with somebody who has the ability to put up the production he has. And so there's a lot of blue on that player page. I get that. But at this point in the draft, there's... Yeah, yeah. There's it's, we know it wasn't great, but it's not about... You're not drafting 2022, you're drafting 2023. And it's all it's also about that situation early on. No, that's a seal of approval, believe it or not. Do that. This is what... Everything here is purely about what the ceiling is. These are bench guys. These are not ones that you necessarily are mm -hmm. going to be starting out of the gate. And you're like, invest this in for the week. Everyone <laughs> goes crazy about Bellinger. He looks great. Oh, he fixed the swing. Oh, he looks uh, awesome. Peterson, last three picks here. David Peterson, Luis Patino, and Jordan Walker. I'm going to group all three of these together because it really doesn't make a difference at this point. Unless you tell me you got sniped on someone, which would be funny. At this late in the draft, I don't think you were you. Was there someone you were really targeting that went instead? No, I was interested in Bailey Ober, but I wouldn't have taken him with the last pick. Walker was going to be my pick with mm. the Mr. Relevant pick, no matter what. Oh, so. there you go. Peterson Patino, what were your thoughts there? I have a hope or expectation that Peterson actually makes his way into the rotation in 2023. I know he did better as a reliever than he did as a starter this past season in the limited time that he was there. But he has shown that he, he has the ability to put up the strikeouts maybe have concerns about all the ratios but this again we're in 21st round 
this is an opportunity to see what you got this early in draft season. <laughs> We're drafting in October. Right. The playoffs aren't even over yet. And so we have a lot of time to figure out where he's going to land. And if he doesn't land in a rotation spot because they do retain the Grom and they do fill in the uh, other open rotation spots from free agency, then fine. I drop him and I pick up somebody else and I stream the first couple of weeks of the season with that roster spot. Patino's in a very similar situation. It's all about, this is just upside. Nobody knows. I don't know how Tampa Bay is going to utilize him, whether or not they're going to keep, they're going to give him a, uh, an opener, which I would love. I think that would be an ideal situation in most cases. At this point in the draft, you find a starter who's going to come in the second and even go four innings and still be eligible for that win there. Obviously, that's that would be ideal situation until they change the rules on that. And so that's the logic behind these two guys. I don't, there, there's little trust to be had with pretty much anybody else that came after that. I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised, again, unless you're chasing wins, that Nathan Udovaldi went as late as he did just because that, I think everybody one. expects Boston to be a better team next year than they were. He's a free agent. And a big question about Udovaldi is, hey, where is he land? But really, was that velocity back? Sure. You might as well see it. If, if it isn't, you're gone. With Peterson and Patino, with Patino, he had a drop in velocity when he came back from his injury. And he just wasn't as good. The four-seamer went from like a 13% swing strike rate, I believe, down to like 7%. Yeah, 7% this past year. And then the slider, we wanted to see more development from. Didn't really see that. It's a very small sample I'm talking about here. Moved to a sinker a little bit to nullify a little, I think, of the four-seamer. But what I'm getting at is Patino could be an exciting guy again this time last year we were thinking oh man patino might get a chance and four seamers really good maybe the slider develops he was someone that we got really excited about with san diego and uh, we'll see what happens they're not a bad late pick just to see what the situation is and how that winds up in tampa bay peterson could be a starter for the mets now the question to me is how consistent that slider is going to be the slider to me is everything for David Peterson, 26% swing striker, but just a 62% strike rate. He couldn't really land it for strikes. He relied so heavily on O-swing on it, 44%, just 34% zone rate. And when that doesn't work, I don't think the four-seamer is that good. When he's able to elevate it, he does better, but it's not that good. The changeup is pretty dang mediocre. A sub 50% strike rate is horrendous on it, and it's just su- super hyper-reliant. Super hyper-reliant, yes, on that slider for Peterson. I don't want to necessarily chase it out of the gates. I actually don't remember what the expected schedule is for the, the Mets. I wrote it out. I should know this. I should have it all memorized on October 28th. Of course, I uh, you know the early schedule for the Mets is going to be the Marlins for four. So maybe actually I do dig this pick to start Peterson the first weekend if he is doing that. Something to think about there. I might be targeting Peterson more in February, March, when we feel more confident that he's going to get one of those first four starts. I would prefer Bailey Ober, though. I think there's more of a a ceiling for Ober. I'm going to give that a seal of approval, just so you know, to Chris Weber. What a guy for that, for the Bailey Ober one. But yeah, I understand why you're going for both of these. And last one, Jordan Walker. I don't really know much about Jordan Walker. And I understand that he is a prospect, of course, for the Cardinals. Talk to us about him. I know that he is a player. He plays baseball. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Third base by trade. 
for St. Louis coming up did move into the outfield for what I think are obvious reasons. He's not going to supplant Nolan Arenado. Neither was Nolan Gorman going to do that before him. So he has been playing in the corner outfield slots at double A to end the season. He's playing the outfield right now in the Arizona Fall League, which hopefully you'll be able to get a chance to check him out. At oh, yeah, I wish you were there, Adam. I do also wish I was would be there. Yeah, so next we time. will not get into that. Somehow we find a way to make me feel bad about this in every podcast. No, it's I about record. you should feel loved because we want you to be there. I would love you to know? be there. I will be there in spirit. If I can get somebody to install like a live stream Go, GoPro on like their forehead as they walk <laughs> around first pitch, that would be great. Yeah, a little Roomba. Uh, but anyway, but yeah. this, is a power, this is a power speed combo. If the St. Louis hasn't been necessarily shy to call up their prospects, but the one thing that they have they've stated is that they're not going to call up their best prospects unless they play, unless they have an opportunity to play every day. They said that with Nolan Gorman last year. They said that with Lars Newbar. They said that with Juan Yepes. All three of those guys last year they got called up at different times when there was more opportunity for them, and when there was not opportunity, they either got sent back down or they worked on different things. Yepes comes to mind specifically on that one. Walker is a game-changing type of player. If he's a Mike, he's the Mike, he's next year's Michael Harris. And if you listen to mm. my next on the wire podcast, he's going to be my pick for that category as we talk about that. Who are next year's versions of each player? Between the 22 steals and the 19 home runs he put up in double A, he's smacking the ball right now in the Arizona Fall League. He's doing this in again in double A. He hasn't played any triple A. I get that. I have no doubt that. St. Louis will start him off in AAA. I just do not think it will take long for them to make that jump into the majors. And all those rule changes that we keep talking about with stolen bases, they all happened last year at AAA. So he's doing, he's stealing all these bases, 22 bases, like I mentioned, only got caught five times at AA where those, the pitch clock was not being tested out. So that's something to consider as well. He's, well I love he this is pick, mystery relevant here. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, again, this is what you should be doing. You have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe Arenado gets dealt. Maybe it's maybe they dealt. all of a sudden have a, or maybe they have an opening in the outfield and they go, great, Jordan Walker's our guy. He has such a good spring and we have that spot. There you go. And if he does, this is a massive boost to your team. If not yet, yeah, you have that open spot at the end. Who cares? <laughs> this is your last pick. You have the pick of the letter anyway. So I dig it. Seal of approval. Why not? I'm giving it to you. And I think that's going to do it, Adam. So how do you rank this team on a scale of 1 to 23? Oh, yeah. You're doing 23 now? Not 17 or anything like no, that? No, I'm doing 23. I feel like that's 23 best. rounds. Yes. All right. Let's see. I actually, I mapped that out. Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. You can give yourself negative 1, 0, and 1 for all your picks. And then you have your score. All right. I'm going to give myself a 15 out of 23. Okay. Those, why a 15? That's the amount of picks that I feel confident and or proud of mm-hmm. in comparison not that i don't like all the other picks so like i said i wouldn't have you going back i would have changed out my von grissom pick and i probably would have changed out my mondesi pick in retrospect especially since i grabbed cj abrams later on so that's two points off there there's my rotation has some question marks to, sure. to you're always going to have some question marks the adage is if you're walking out of a 12 teamer and you don't think you can win the championship then your draft went terribly wrong yeah, everybody right. loves their team coming out of a, a draft a like this teamer. yes but there's always a wart. there's always somewhere you're like oh i wish i had done this or i wish i'd done that uh, unless 15, i draft then then i feel amazing every time <laughs> no matter what <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> all closers <laughs> drafting all closers oh god don't do that to me 
It will never, some people are like, oh, have you ever tried like the, the marmal strategy of just going only relievers and no starters? And I'm like, that is my punishment for my time in this world. No, no, oh, gosh, I would never, I, I want the opposite. Saves and steals are the ball and chain around the ankles of fantasy players. There it is. <laughs> Every time I will mention it. But anyway, so 15 for 23, I think that's about right. I'm looking through it. The, my main criticisms, I think, I like the idea that Varsho uh, Perez play, but I think you're putting too much value into it when too many good pitchers are here that you could have used. Javier, Kershaw, Glasnow, Severino, Cortez, Wright, Ray, Valdez, McKenzie, Lodolo, Green all went before your next pick, right? And with the depth um, of catcher, I could see myself not taking Perez there and then picking exactly. a Tyler Stevenson right. late or something like that. Yeah. Yep, exactly what I'm going for there. On Grissom thing, I think you're right about. Vaughn, I'm Andrew Vaughn. I'm a little, I don't know. Love the Jansen one. Heaney was, I think, not the right one for you. But maybe if you got Javier or something before, that makes it more sense. That gives it more weight. Uh, or Kitty, get out of here. If you didn't do Mondesi... <laughs> If you didn't do Mondesi, you could have gotten like Cabrera, Edward Cabrera and Aaron Ashby, which I feel is way stronger than Rikidi and Ashby, if that makes sense. Or Sonny Gray or Kopech or Grayson Rodriguez even. That's a fun one to chase because there's an expectation. I mean, Rikidi, like it's fine. 15 teamers, anyone that's going to be playing those, they're going to love Rikidi. I'm all for Rikidi in those because you talk about the wins, should be a lower whip, he should be... He'll oh, go sure. 180 innings or something like that. But this is a Toby. I don't draft Tobies. I don't do so it. I've heard. Yes. I don't do it. Uh, watch there be an ace. I want there to be an like an SP1 that is named Toby. I'm <laughs> waiting for him to show up. I can't Tobias? wait for that day. Yeah, I'll call him that. I'll call him <laughs> Tobias. Tobias. And that will be it. That will be his name. Or like I'll have the that Chad meme that goes around like who, like the glorious man chin oh, yeah, yeah. and everything. We'll have him, but in like the Toby suit and stuff. I just Perfect. want there to be a Toby. And like watch him; he's born today. And like in twenty years, there's finally a stud pitcher named Toby. Anyway, the Seawald one was fun. Abrams one I liked. Bellinger I liked. Peterson, Patino, Walker, all fine. So yeah, this is solid draft. I probably am not going to go the Wit Tatis thing that you did. If I were you, Alonso is fine. If take whoever you want of the first baseman, I would pair that with Devers and Machado or Riley or something like that. That's because you hate production. stolen bases. Yeah. And well, I mean, I am leaning, but I am also leaning that like stolen bases are not as important to grab, especially in a 12 team ahead, but especially, but even more so, I should say, entering next year where. Unless you believe this guy is going to go like 50 stolen bases or something or like four. It's not so much. It's not so much looking for the guys that are going to go 50 stolen bases for me. If I want to win the category more often than not, I know yeah. that there's going to be more stolen bases across the board. Like you said, those guys that are going 10, 15, they might go 15, 20 now, which means they're going to play a role on other teams to grab a stolen base in any given week. And so mm-hmm. if the majority of my team has at least those 10 to 20 stolen base guy right then i have a better chance of winning that category yeah yeah the premium i guess i put on it is not as high as what sure. i'm getting at i'm gonna i'm gonna focus more on the big boys so that that's just where i stand with it but uh, but anyway really fun team and good talking with you adam yeah and that's gonna do for this episode of on the corner so on behalf of adam i'll give him a follow of course where can we follow you 
Of course, you can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And you listen to me side by side with Kevin Hastings every Sunday on the Wire podcast. And we can all thank Adam so much as he produces these podcasts. Now, for me, I can't thank him enough. You see those timestamps? Yeah. Thank Adam. (laughs) Thank Adam. He's wonderful. He's our podcast director here. But that's going to do it for today. So on behalf of Adam Howell, my name is Nick Pollock. I'll talk to you guys next week.